God, I thank you so much that you love us, that you love us so much that you came down from heaven to enter uh, our world. And God, you, you did it in a way that was approachable, tangible, that you were, you were right there. And we celebrate today, Jesus, you, as you came into Jerusalem and the celebration and the people uh, knew for a moment, they caught a glimpse of your glory God, how we quickly will find those moments in our lives, but then sometimes we forget, we lose sight, we get distracted. So God, I just pray right now that you would help us to gain sight of who you are in our lives. You would help us to understand who you call us to be. And God, thank you so much that you are so much bigger than our minds can truly wrap around. So help us as we try to think deeper through this series. And thanks for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, we are in a series uh, uh, right now, and this series is called Making Sense of God. And the whole idea behind this is that we are looking at some questions that we answered as a church, these theological questions, and we're trying to figure out where, where do we stand, uh, what, are, what, are, what should we be thinking about. And so uh, we have two questions that we're going to be addressing today, and these questions are, Everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. And the other one is, uh, even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. Uh, Both of these questions, or statements more so, uh, have to do with sin. It's our viewpoint of how bad sin is. And what's interesting is these are actually trending in two different directions. Uh, The first one, uh, the first statement, everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature, is actually, uh, over the last four years, has been decreasing as a a belief, uh, a statement of belief. And and I'm pulling this from, actually, the the place that we took this test, the State of Theology. Um, They allow you to also look at their their study nationally. So this isn't just at sunrise, like, oh, 8% of us have changed our minds. That would be, like, really, like kind of cool that we were like so dialed into each other that we knew where we were at like that, but uh, I'm talking more nationally uh, where, where this statement is coming from. So uh, it, it has decreased in belief that, you know, we're, we're not believing that we're naturally good anymore. Um, and I, I think that, you know, two things pop in my head when I see that. Uh, the first thing is that, uh, you know, when you look at our state of our nation currently, it's pretty divided. Uh, we're we're not really friendly with everyone, you know, we're, there's a lot of turmoil that's been happening in the last couple years, and uh, I think, yeah, maybe that's part of that, that maybe it's led to people looking, uh, you know, around and saying, yeah, maybe we aren't naturally good, maybe there is something wrong with us, uh, but more importantly is that uh, the Bible would say that we are not naturally good, and, and we, we understand this, we pull this from Genesis 1, 31, uh, where it talks about the fact that God created everything, the heavens and the earth, and when he created it, after he was all done, he said that it was very good. And so uh, it shows that, yeah, when we were first made, when we were first, you know, God first designed us, we were designed to be good, naturally good. And what's awesome about that is, and then in Genesis 2, you get this awesome moment of God just hanging out with Adam, uh, and they're just, they're just, kind of walking through creation, and, and they have this cool, like, I don't know how long it must have taken, but it must have taken a, a while because Adam walks with God, and he gets to name all the different animals that God created, and so they had a very great relationship, 
And then at Eve, and, and, and they celebrate once he makes Eve and they have their partnership, the relationship that is there, and God is present with, with them. And then, of course, we get to Genesis 3, where things get a little twisted because a lie is believed and sin enters the picture. And, and we get that from Genesis 3, uh, verse 6, when it says, The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable to gain wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Notice what is happening here. She, she desired the wisdom she saw that she thought that it was good. She made her own judgment there, right? She already heard from God beforehand, no, that's not good for you. That's bad. And yet she makes her own judgment there and she says, no, I think this is good. I think this is okay. And I want to know what God knows. I, I don't want to just trust God that he's going to tell me what's good and what's bad. Instead, I want to be the judge. I want to have the wisdom. I want to be like God, not under God. And so that's what happens. And then uh, obviously, God comes and he, he, he starts to work the plan that he's been working ever since to save humanity, but it's going to take a while because the reality is we don't know how messed up we are. We don't understand. You know, the first thing they did when God comes to them after they ate the, the fruit uh, of good and evil is he asks them, hey, where are you? And they're hiding. And he's, he asks Adam, hey, what's going on? Why did you do that? And he quickly shifts blame and he says, oh, that was, it was the woman's fault. It was her. She did it. The, the one that you gave me. So it's kind of your fault too. And then the woman's like, no, no, it wasn't me. It was, it was that snake. And the snake was just like, I got no one, right? <laughs> it was his fault, right? <laughs> so uh, I think it's interesting that that's where their, their natural instinct went. Not me, not me. Look over there. Hide, hide. Don't, don't pay attention to my sin. Don't, don't. I'm not going to say sorry. I'm not going to ask for forgiveness. That was their first thing is to hide their shame. Genesis 4, then we learn about the relationship of two brothers, uh, Cain and Abel. And what's amazing as I was reading this is I was realizing these two brothers have a great relationship or have a great access, I should say, uh, to God. It says that God was talking with them. Like they went and they, they gave an offering to God and God was there with them. And, and he was speaking with them. So that shows that they actually had a, a relationship with him. And it says that, you know, Abel gave an offering and God accepted it with favor. And then, and then Cain gave an offering and, and he didn't. And we don't really know why. It wasn't necessarily the offering. But I think we get hints about why uh, God didn't take Cain's offering uh, with uh, Genesis 4, 6 through 7, which says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So this shows that Cain was not living right with God. I think that more than the actual offering that is given is maybe why he didn't accept it. I mean, in all reality, I don't care how great of a voice you have. If you come up and try to lead worship and your heart isn't right, if you got sin in your life and you're not, you're not trying to follow his plan for your life, uh, your worship sucks. I don't care how good you sound. God doesn't want that. 
He can make more beautiful people, or more, well, more beautiful people, yes, but more beautiful sounds himself. Uh, he doesn't need your voice. He wants your heart. He wants your motivations. And he does that with our prayers, with, our, with, with everything that we do. He's always looking at our heart and our motivations behind it. He doesn't really need us. He wants to transform our hearts. And that's what he's saying with Cain is, is it's your heart is the problem. Your motivation is wrong. And we see that Cain did not rule over his sin like God had instructed him. Because in verse 8, it says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Killed him. He He was jealous. He didn't like that he looked bad next to him. And as we look at Cain, it's easy for us to look down on him and judge him and say, man, how, how wicked of a person that is. But in all reality, how quick we do that in the same way. Maybe we don't kill someone, but we, we call someone out. We, we shut someone down. Uh, we, we shut out people who maybe point out the things that we don't like to be pointed out in our lives. You know, humanity has been doing this for years and years and years. God sends a prophet. He sends a messenger. And uh, humanity shuts them down, kills them, silences them. We've been doing this over and over again. So before we judge Cain, it's important for us to understand that this is our legacy. This is the effect of sin on humanity. And it happens generation after. We are born with... You learned that uh, probably from... So I think there's something there, right? Turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their way, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. There is no one, or there, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. What Paul is saying here, he's actually referring uh, to the First Testament, the Old Testament, and he's uh, pulling Psalms. Uh, and that's where verses 10 through 18 come from. Those are all from different Psalms. One verse is from Isaiah. And uh, it's all about the, the state of humanity. How are we doing? And if you read through that, you can tell we're not doing very good. This is God's judgment as he looks down on us and he says, where, are, where is humanity at? And we are all kinds of wicked is what kind of ends up happening. It's this idea of total depravity. And depravity, that, that's a fancy word that basically means morally corrupt and wickedness. It means that we have a natural desire to do evil within us. And that's because of sin. That's because of what we, we talked about in Genesis, that, that legacy of sin has been brought into our lives and is born into us, and we just naturally lean that direction now. So Paul is looking at what God has declared over humanity in the past, and he's saying it hasn't changed much in his time, and I have to say it hasn't changed much in our time as well. We have a natural desire 
to sin. No one is righteous, not even one. And the reason Paul is bringing this up is because both sides of the church, uh, both the Jews and the Gentiles, and Gentiles just mean everyone else, um, to under, they wants them both to understand how deprived they are, how much sin is actually in their life. They both naturally desire evil. And the law is not given to, to save anyone. The law being the, the First Testament, the Old Testament, it's not given to actually save anyone. It's to help humanity to understand that there's a problem, that there's sin. That's how far gone we were and maybe still are at times. We don't even understand there's a problem. We don't even understand that there is evil and sin in the world sometimes. We don't understand that there's sin in our own life sometimes when we're just like, no, everything's probably fine. I'm good. I'm good. We don't understand that there's things there that God is trying to work in our lives about. And so God had to help him for a long time just simply understand what righteousness was even or what righteousness was for them to understand where the mark was. Because otherwise he'd say, you're not righteous. And they'd be like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> what are you talking about? And so then Paul continues in verse 19. That's what he's saying. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Meaning you can't earn it. That you're not going to be able to live that perfect and holy life. Rather, through the law, they may become conscious of their sin. You can wake up to the fact that there's a problem and you need help. What we need to understand is just how lost we are. Something we do a lot is we justify our sin. Uh, we, we, we're good at it, actually. We're really good at... at kind of making excuses up about why we do certain things and don't do certain things. And uh, I think a lot of times we end up treating sin almost like it's personality traits. Like it's, uh, it's just something that we do. You know, we have this little bit of sin in our life, and yeah, yeah I'm a little bit of a gossip. I, you know, yeah, I, I'm kind of greedy at times. It's just, a, it's just something I, I have. I, I don't know. You know I, we, we make these excuses for our sin. And sometimes we treat those sins in our life like they are just little flavors to our life. Again, like they're personality traits, like you're an introvert, and so you're naturally this way, or you got Myers-Briggs, or you maybe you're the INTJ, or whatever you know, yours is, and you're kind of like, well, this is just how I'm built. And we kind of make that as the same excuses about our sin life. And so I want us to think about our lives like this water container. You know, we, God fills us up with water, right? That's our life. And we're called to be pure. Everyone wants pure water, right? No one wants dirty water. No one wants that, that, all that junk in your life. But sometimes we treat sin like we're just adding a little flavor to our life. Just a little bit of sugar. Yeah, I know it's not good for me, but yeah, it's going to help. You know, I'm going to drink more if I, if I have a little sugar. Maybe some fruit, maybe some veggies, whatever. You know, we want to we flavor our life. And we treat sin as if we're adding flavor to our life. But what we need to understand is, is sin is not like that. Sin is like if we were to grab the, the motor oil in my garage right now from my last car, uh, my last uh, oil change, and we're just to take a few drops of that and drop it into the water. That's what sin is. Just actually one drop of motor oil 
into this container and contaminates the whole thing, makes it toxic. You can't drink it without getting sick. Life-giving water is no, no longer there. It's, it's toxic water. And that's what sin truly is in our life. It's the motor oil in our lives. It's toxic. Just one drop, just one sin in our lives. And all of a sudden, we're tainted. We can't do what God's calling us to do because there's no life in us anymore. That's how sin truly is. That's the toxicity level of sin. There's no room for it. It's not cute. There's no place in any of our lives for it. And when we see it, we shouldn't just accept it as the way that it is. We need to figure out a way to allow God to come into our situation and fix it and work in our lives. The beautiful thing is no matter how toxic our situation, our tank is, that nothing is outside of what God can do with us. And that's what Paul's going to talk about here in a minute. And I want, to, I want to stop here for a moment because I think sometimes we have this idea of that, that arc, right? That grading on a curve of sin. And you just for a moment think about how ridiculous that sounds. Like it must be to God. Like if I were to have my tank and be like, well, my tank only has a little bit of poison in it. Theirs has a lot more. So you want to drink from mine, right? No. It's poison. I don't care if theirs has more. Yours has, you all have poison. You're all toxic. No, I don't want any of it, right? And that's kind of how it is when we compare our sins with one another, when we justify ourselves based upon what other people are doing in their life. It doesn't matter how toxic are you. Are you pure and holy like Jesus is? Is that how your life? Because that's the only time you can rest and say, oh, I'm good enough. Jesus is the only one who is good enough. So Paul, this is what he has to say. In verse uh, 21 through 26, he says, now, or, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness in the present time, so as to be just and be the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And amen. I want to walk through this because Paul just said a lot. He's a dense writer, right? Like you, you read this and you're like, I know that was all good, but I have no idea what I just read. <laughs> At least that's how I feel many a times as I read uh, Paul. Um, he he, he it has an, a gift from God to compact so much uh, amazing stuff in one little amount of writing. And so uh, let's just walk through this a little bit. Uh, the start of the, the verses says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has um, been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. What he's pointing out again is that idea. The law and the prophets were all there to help us understand that we had a sin problem in our lives, that there, were, there was oil in our water, right? There's toxicity in our water. 
And then he goes on, he says, this righteousness that God has defined for us is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It's only through Jesus that he can give you something worth drinking. It's through his work, not yours. It's not by your work. It's not by your efforts. It's not, you're not going to clean your tank. It's only through Jesus that you can understand what living water truly is that you can have something worth sharing in this world. Jesus pours us out our sinfulness and he refills us with himself and we are able to live a new life thanks to him. This is what he did on that cross. When he died for our sins, he, he took it all away. He did it and I, I love what he says here in just a little bit where he says uh, he held off his judgments for those people who had sinned before him. When he died on that cross, he died for everyone who believed in him before him, before his birth, all of the Old Testament, everyone who was looking for the Messiah to be their savior, he died for all of their sins. He died for everyone's sins that were present that day and he's died for all of our sins who are which later on, 2,000 years now. All of our sins. He's forgiven them all. His, his death covers all of our sins. That's the good news. That's the faith that we have. It's not by my righteousness that I'm going to be okay. It's by his righteousness that he gives me. He's defined it, and then he's given it to me. Jesus offers this as a gift. And what I love is, is that we find unity in our need for Jesus. It says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We're all sinners. We all mess up. We all need Jesus equally. I don't care where you come from. I don't care your, your culture, your heritage. I mean, I do care because, you know, I like you, but, you know, it doesn't matter anywhere you come from in the world. We all equally need Jesus to be our redeemer. We all equally are sinners and we need Jesus in our life. We can't look at someone else and say, man, they need Jesus. And we're like, yeah, so do you, right? All of us need Jesus in our lives. And that's what's wrong currently in our world is, is we're so busy going back to the, that original sin of wanting to be our own judges. We want to define good on our own terms. We all want to make our own decisions in these ways. And we need to go back to the original plan of allowing God to define what righteousness is in our life and live into that new righteousness that he has for us. Paul continues and he says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. He's the one who paid for our sins through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith, which is the only way that we can truly accept the gift that God has for us. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that as so to be the, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Jesus had to die on the cross because we, had, we serve a just God. He couldn't just let the debt that we had go, go away. But he was also a good and gracious God who was willing to die for our sins and pay the debt that we had. 
Jesus' death on the cross justifies us all and allows us to live a new life full of living water, to be able to pour and share with other people around us. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate today on Palm Sunday, and we celebrate again on Easter next week. We, we celebrate these things that normally we would be considered a tragic thing, Jesus' death. But we celebrate it, and that's why we call it Good Friday and not Bad Friday, is because we know that without that cross, without his willingness to give up his life, we would all be toxic. Instead, he gives us new abilities to share his light and his love with one another. Wherever you're at in your, in your journey with God, whether you've been a believer in for 40, 50, 60 years, or you're brand new this week, I want to encourage you, this is a process. It's not like instantly, boom, all the toxicity is gone in our life. I mean, he paid for it all, but it's a work in progress. And as we slowly give up uh, those sinful things in our life and we ask God to be Lord over those things, he redeems us and he forgives us. And it's a process of refining over and over and over again. And so wherever you're at today, I just want to encourage you to continue to chase after righteousness that God has for you. And whatever those things are that maybe you're holding on to, that you're saying, ah, I don't know, God, uh, th- this, this maybe I can keep. This part of my life I just want to hold on to, to give those up and allow him to be God over your entire life. Because, oh, man, the freedom and the joy and the grace and the love that comes from our lives when we do that. All the amount of things that God can do with your life as you allow his living water to be poured out of your life. The chains of sin and addictions that are broken. Uh, the kids who now have a new legacy, uh, family legacy, because you decided to follow Jesus or, and God awoke you to that knowledge. Oh, man, it's great. I want to pray for you and pray for us through this process and the joy and freedom that we'll find. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you so much that you paid the cost. You're the one who makes us righteous. And God, I pray that you would help each one of us to allow you to work in our lives, that we would be able to surrender ourselves and say, God, whatever it is that you need from me, that you would be with me and that you would help me to just give it all to you. God, I pray for for everyone, that they could know more truly who you are in their lives. Thank you that you gave us what righteousness even was, God. You, you set the destination, and then you helped us get there. And it's only through your work that we're allowed to get there. Thanks for loving us, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.